many of you I know recognized what Joan was playing at the end there, Faith of Our Fathers. It leads us very nicely into where I'll be taking us this morning in our Bibles. I'm taking you not to Hebrews as you perhaps expect. But I am departing from Hebrews to bring us to the prophet Jeremiah and to look to him to guide us, to look to him to lead us in a special, special way, I pray, as only God can do. Turning your attention this morning to Jeremiah chapter 34. Jeremiah chapter 34. Please follow along as I begin reading. Jeremiah 34, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, and all the people fought against Jerusalem and all its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. And you shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hand. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon, he shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword, but you shall die in peace, as in the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced the word, says the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these things to Zedekiah, king of Judah in Jerusalem, when the king of Babylon, the king of Babylon's army, fought against Jerusalem and all the cities of Jerusalem that were left and all, and all the cities of, of Judah that were left, excuse me, against Lachish, Azekah, for only these fortified cities remained of the cities of Judah. Shall we pray this morning? Lord, we bow our heads before you, O God, and pray of your word that it would have its effect on our lives. Lord, we've been singing of our country. We've been praying for our country. And we pray today to learn from your word truths about you that can aid our country and set us free from our present bondage. We ask your help in these things. We pray your provision. And we ask for your mercy. Lord, your loving kindness and your mercy that is new every morning, we pray that you would indeed shower that upon this nation. And we pray that you would shower it upon Israel, your nation that you will eventually restore and bring all nations into it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, is my title. These words were spoken by God through his prophet, Jeremiah. Our Pledge of Allegiance, now fallen out of regular use, perhaps gaining a resurgence in some quarters, ends with this refrain, with liberty and justice for all. What did they mean by that? What did they mean? Are we close enough to even understand what liberty was to them that we might try to restore it now? Our forefathers, even before this, seemed to have an understanding of equity. All mankind. All men are created equal. And then should be treated equal under the law. What law? The law of the land, you might say. Where did that come from? What influenced our laws? Let me say it even more. What should influence the laws that we make with liberty and justice for all, equity? Is liberty complete, individual autonomy? Is liberty, the liberty that we're after, the liberty that we're pledging? This liberty, is it so that everyone can be completely alone in the living out of their own personal desires unobstructed at every point with no regard for others or even for God? Do we mean that? I think some might mean that. But is that what our pledge means? And is that what God meant when he said through Jeremiah to a nation in trouble, Behold, I proclaim liberty to you. Liberty to you. Jeremiah declares liberty to his fellow Jews in Jerusalem, the last of three cities of Judah, surrounded by the might of the superpower Babylon with its greatest king, perhaps the greatest king that ever walked the face of the earth, until Christ will come and walk as king of the earth. Jeremiah declares liberty to his fellow Jews in Jerusalem. He shows them God's plan for liberty and justice for all, and that this is found through the law, through obedience, and through fear. We study this today so that we also, so that we also might be set free from the bondage, the bondage that we are in in very similar fashion to Israel, and live a life of liberty. Not by anyone's decision or description or definition other than God's with liberty and justice for all. Let me begin this morning with the first of these three liberating principles. With the law, there is liberty and justice for all. With the law of God, there is liberty and justice for all. In other words, God's law means liberty for all. Justice for all, God made it for all. The time of Jeremiah, they're living under the law of God, the Mosaic Covenant, a covenant of laws. 
a people of laws, a nation of laws. How many times have we heard that recently about us from many sides of the political spectrum, that we are a nation of, oh, you knew it, of laws. We're a nation of laws. And you can say it with some sort of pomposity. Well, of course, we are a nation of laws. If you'd figure that out, it'd be fine. I might say with more bombastic, we are a nation of laws. So leave me alone. What does it mean to be a nation of laws? With law there is liberty and justice for all. If it's God's law, and God's law means liberty and justice for all, there is in the first place liberty in law keeping. Hmm. With liberty and justice for all, there is liberty in law-keeping. Well, what about my autonomy? What about my will? Can't I do what I want whenever I want because I want to do it? It's a free country, after all, we used to say in third grade on the playground when we were doing wrong. It's a free country. Jeremiah lived in a time where he saw a revival. He was young, a new prophet, and there was a new king, Josiah, a reformer, a follower after God, one who would remove the idols from the land and draw the people back to the worship of the one true God. And Jeremiah, his prophets, and they saw it sweep the land on the heels of the word of God and the leadership of a king after God's heart. And then Josiah died young and left the nation with his reprobate sons the first after him, or I should say the second after him, Zedekiah mentioned already in our reading. Now they are surrounded. Now they are under attack. And their doom is sure, and God is pronouncing it. Let me read to you Jeremiah 34, going on to verse 8. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem. Listen, to proclaim liberty to them. Liberty and justice for all. To proclaim liberty to them, verse 9 goes on, that every man should set free, listen, his male and female slave a Hebrew man or woman, that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Liberty. Verse 10. Now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, listen, they obeyed and let them go. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. In a time of great trouble, in a place where they had been practicing the inequities of keeping their brothers and their sisters in a state of slavery, yes, a state of slavery. And if you're familiar with the Mosaic Law, you know that there was a legal precedent under God's law for a fellow Hebrew to indenture himself as a slave to another. There wasn't Wells Fargo Bank for you in those days that if, you know, you had a bad year or you're bad at your finances or you were perhaps a little slothful in your work and you didn't bring in the harvest and you couldn't afford to feed your family, that there was a safety net. That you could go to one of your wealthier, uh, more well-to-do in uh, Hebrews and you could sell yourself to them as a slave. But, 
It was to be a temporary sale, lasting only seven years. The seventh year you had to be released, and there was a cycle. If you were sold into that slavery in the first year of the seven-year cycle, you got paid more because the guy was going to get six years out of you. And if you got in that the fourth year or the fifth year, you got paid less and less. And you could, if you will, like in the military, re-up after the end of that time and stay a slave. And some would even choose, liking that, to stay in that condition. And then they could take their earlobe, put it to the post of the door, and they would pierce it with an awl. And the earring in the uh, ear of a male was a sign of... <laughs> hate to break it to you. Slavery. God's law. Equitable. They hadn't been doing this. And so this is a reformation that we just read. But let me read further. Verse 11, Jeremiah 34, but afterward they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return. Oh, go free. Oh, change your mind. And made them return, whom they had set free and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. The Babylonian siege is intensifying. It's looking worse and worse. There's, there's an opportunity here to keep repenting, to grow closer and closer to God in your dependence, or to try and rescue yourselves, to keep your safety net around you. Uh, for instance, workers to work for you. In reality, I think what took place in Jeremiah 34 verses 1 through 7 that we read by way of introduction where twice, if you'll notice, at the beginning and at the end, we read these words. The beginning and then at the end, verse 7, then the king of Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem and all the cities of Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah that were left against Lachish, Hezekiah, for only these fortified cities remained in the cities of Judah. There's a repetition of the entire army surrounding Judah, and they are crumbling. And so they resort to panic piety. That's what I call it. Panic piety. Oh, no! We're really in trouble. Let's turn to God. How horrible of them. To do that and then recant. How terrible of them to move along and then to reconsider what they've done. That's what the Hebrew word means. Or to relent at what they had committed by way of promissory covenant. A temporary keeping of the law. Well, let's keep it for a while and see what happens. I mean, none of you think like that here, but you know people like this. I mean, give Jesus a try, right? God never asks you to give Jesus a try like a suit in a fitting room, and if it doesn't fit right, you can take it off. It's all or nothing. He will give you his righteousness, and you put it on because he's made you righteous. And there's no taking it off. A panic sort of piety. I remember another nation. I remember another nation proud, rich, prosperous. A nation that had built itself a symbol of its economic wealth and power and seated them on an island like a colossus supporting the empire towers to the might 
of the United States of America. See these? In New York, the Twin Towers. This is America. And on a fateful day, September 11th, 2001, my first year in ministry, I'd just been called to a church, my first church. We'd gone back to Montana to get all of our belongings to move down. We were staying at a cabin Vicky's parents owned, and we got a call early in the morning from Vicky's mother, who was weeping. that something terrible had happened in the world. It had come right away. A plane had flown into one of the Twin Towers in New York, and it was burning. By the time we got to Mom and Dad's, we were there to watch the second plane fly into the second tower and to watch in horror with the rest of the nation them crumble to the ground with people falling from windows, smoke rising, and people in desperation scurrying all around. And we knew we had to go back to our church and be with them. And we went back and prayed and people started filling churches. United States of America, it seemed like a revival was taking place. People all over the United States of America were going to church, going to synagogue, going to worship God. Where are they now? It's so easy to read the Old Testament of Israel, isn't it? Those slimy old Israelites. Those losers. Those turncoats. Set all the slaves free and then changed their minds. Started worshiping God and then went away from it. Hmm. How like we they are. Aren't you glad you came for the 4th of July message? They reconsidered. Their panic piety lasted only as long as the present danger, and then they turned to what they depended upon, the slavery they had built. Romans chapter 2, Paul speaking to the Romans, the people of the church now, the Gentiles brought in, speaking to us. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, this scathing revelation of the hearts of people. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Sometimes it's so easy to say that God is doing good things for us and we're prospering and things are going well, so God must be pleased by us and that must be the only requirement is to keep doing better. He says, don't you know that his forbearance is to lead you to repentance? Verse 5 of Romans 2, but in accordance with the, your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds the law of God there's liberty and justice for all liberty and justice for all from the law even the New Testament declares a continuing idea of that justice and judgment. 
The description goes this way, verse 7, Romans 2, eternal life to those who listen by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Contrasting judgment, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, listen, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. On every soul of man who does evil, look at there's no partiality with God. You want equity? You want equity? Ah, oh, yes, we want equity. Here it is. Here it is. Of the Jew first and also for the Greek. Greek being everybody else. Of his own people and then all the other peoples of the world. Listen. Equity. But glory and honor and peace. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God, liberty and justice for all. Where does it come from? It comes from God, it comes from His Word. But unbelief is like the proverb. You can have a panic piety and then turn from it, but it only proves the proverb of the heart of the man like a dog returns to his own vomit, says the Proverbs. So a fool repeats his folly. Israel went away from God and were punished and then did it again. Let her be in your notes. Liberty and law-keeping, but there is also justice in law-keeping. We've touched on it a little bit. Let's go back to our text. Let's go back to Jeremiah 34, verse 12. Therefore, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is the verse after they relented and took back their brothers and sisters into slavery. Therefore, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage, they were slaves in Egypt. Saying, verse 14, at the end of seven years, let every man set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to him. And when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me, nor incline their ear. Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight, every man proclaiming liberty to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. Then you turned around and profaned my name, and every one of you brought back his male and female slaves who had been set at liberty at their pleasure and brought them back into subjection to be your male and female slaves. Why is this so wrong? Why did he say it that way? Why did God mention Egypt? Egypt is the history of Israel in the condition of involuntary slavery. See, the type of slavery God is describing here has to be voluntary. You can't go take a guy and say, you're going to be my slave for six years. It's in the law. No, it's not. The man has to decide himself that he wants to become your slave. And in that way, if you're smart, you could choose a good master. So I'm not working for him. He'll kill me. I'm going to work for this guy. He treats his slaves well. I got six years, I'm out of debt, I'm back on the land, start fresh. But they would take him in and then not let him go. So what was to be voluntary became involuntary, just like it was for Israel in Egypt. They were all slaves. The heritage of Israel is slavery. And having been a slave, one would think that your posterity, who knew that was your condition, would be highly sensitive not to subjugate other people and put them to slavery because they were at one time slaves. They would treat it with abhorrence, involuntary slavery. 
And it's a denial of the mercy and grace of God and the justice of God. They were unjust to their brothers and sisters here in the United States. Terrible blight upon our nation. Involuntary slavery. Brothers and sisters, it was real. It's not real to us today because we don't know any or we refuse to see them. They're slaves today, you know. It amazes me that the very people who will rail about the injustices of the past, the slaves black, uh, by the way, other races, Chinese as well, their posterity now seems to have no problem with allowing our borders to be used for the transport of slaves into the United States of America. Documented, adjudicated, proven. And some of the very people that would rail against the past slavery want to do nothing about the present slavery. They have become what they say they hate. Is that merciful? Is that gracious? Is that just? Israel is admonished because they're not being like God. They're not remembering their humble state as slaves. And they had made a covenant in the name of their God and so broke it. They had taken the Lord's name in vain and turned the other way. There is only justice in law keeping and keeping the law of God. And without that, there is injustice and people are put into slavery. In Jeremiah, we learn that there is justice either way man turns. It might seem to us that some people are getting away with things and other people aren't getting away from things and that there's justice over here and then there's injustice over there and where will be the equity? Where will be the justice in law-keeping? Jeremiah reminds the Jews. Jeremiah reminds Israel in Jeremiah 34, verse 17, this. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty. You said liberty, 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 and liberty and justice for all. But everyone to his brother and everyone to his neighbor, behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord. So you proclaimed liberty and did not give it. I will proclaim liberty to you and I will give you liberty, the liberty of justice. God uses it back toward them. We proclaim liberty to you, but oh, we got you right back. You're slaves again. And God says the same words. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord. To the sword. To pestilence. And to famine. Sound like something you might like? A little bit of the Lord's just liberty? And I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it. Briefly, that's an old covenant taking that you saw with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15. We made a covenant. These animals were cut in two and then the participants in the covenant would walk between the halves of the animals signifying that if we break this promise, this covenant, then what happened to these animals will happen to me. I think they swore a little differently than we do now. But it looks like they break them just as easily as now. 
the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the earth. And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hands of their enemy, into the hand of those who seek their life. You realize if you don't choose liberty for all, then the loss of liberty will come upon you. If you don't choose liberty for all, then the loss of liberty will come upon you. Mark it. It's happening. It happened to them. It can happen to us. He turned them over into the hand of the mighty superpower Babylon where Daniel languished his entire life. Verse 22 of same chapter 34, Behold, I command you, says the Lord, and cause them to return to this city. They will fight against it and will take and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation and without inhabitant. Slavery. Bondage. I've referenced slavery in the United States and then there was a war. There was a battle between brothers, the North against the South. Some of the North joined the South. Some of the South joined the North. Sometimes brothers in the same family would be on the North and the other on the South. Fighting. Some say slavery wasn't the issue, states' rights was, and there's some truth in that. But states' rights about slavery. We're in a states' rights time. Did you realize that? Something happened at the Supreme Court of the United States of America. It happened during this year, but it was just released. The justice and equity has taken place. That the innocent lives that God so cares for, that we're allowed to be murdered in the womb. That has been removed. And now the states, each one, will have to make a decision. Will they recant? Or will they stay? What will we do? What is the fight? There is a slavery and a bondage with abortion that goes beyond the child. I mark it to you and I know it because the Bible tells me that every woman knows and that the scars that women carry who've had abortions voluntarily or involuntarily coerced or uncoerced or even just by the jargon that has been in our sick world encouraging the murder of an innocent is a blight. Withholding liberty to the child. You shall never play. You shall never walk. You shall never speak. You shall never know love. A civil war was fought for slavery. Would we recant? See, withholding liberty to some enslaves not only the slave, but the masters. Enslaving and withholding liberty to some group, some people, someone, not only makes a slave of them, but also to the masters. They will end up in a bondage of slaves in Babylon in so speaking. But let me tell you something. The sort of slavery that's happening in our world and in our country that has been going on causes fear. Why? Why did Israel take their slaves back? 
They were afraid what would happen if those slaves joined the Babylonians. They were afraid of the power of the slaves. Why were many in the South afraid of letting the slaves go? And it's a real problem if we let them all go and we're not feeding them and we're not caring for them and then they get mad at us, they can take all our stuff and make slaves of us. That's a real problem. There's a historical precedent here. Many of you know the Spartans, huh? Many young men, Spartan. He lives a Spartan lifestyle, which means... Bare bones. I live to train, train to live. I hope for a fight. Spartan man couldn't wait to have a chance for the contest. The chance to win or fail being tested to the extreme. The entire culture was built around it so that men didn't stay at home. The wives did and ran the place. The men trained. Come home on a few selected times and feast days. Hi, honey. Not biblical. And then centuries before, they had enslaved a group of people, two groups of people, actually, and kept them in perpetual bondage. And they were known as the helots. When the Persians were attacking Greece, and the entirety of the Greek world was uh, frightened of what would happen, when they were calling upon the Spartans, Athens said to Sparta, Come, help us! They're here! We're fighting them on the sea! Come, send your army! We must meet them on the plain! The Spartans were hesitant to send their whole army, as they were always hesitant to send their own army, knowing that if they sent their army from the land, the slaves could rise up and take the land, and when they got back, it wouldn't be there, so the Spartans rarely sent their whole army. They, the warriors, the powerful, the contest, were afraid of their slaves. They were in bondage to those that they had bound. You can't leave home. Anytime we enslave others, kill others, make less of others, we become slaves to that. And fear is bound up in it. And the fear of those who are afraid of letting it go. Look at people protesting now. Babies have just been set free. And they're afraid. And certainly you would be too if you found out what you had done it was not as they had told you, but it was murder. Certainly all those men who wanted out of the responsibility of fatherhood and financial obligation know what they've done. Continue the charade, they say, and perhaps it'll all go away. No, only by returning to God in repentance. I must move on. Secondly, with obedience, there is liberty and blessing for all. With obedience, there is liberty and blessing for all. Look at Jeremiah, now chapter 35, verse 13. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Jeremiah proclaims, the God of Israel Go, tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to obey my word, says the Lord. What a call from God. You would think now, he said, okay, I've told you, you had a chance to repent and you won't do it, you've recanted, forget about you. No, he calls out for them to receive instruction and obey his words. There is liberty, let me tell you, there is liberty, let me proclaim it, in obedience to God. Liberty equals obedience. Doesn't that seem oxymoronic? At least paradoxical. I want to be free. Therefore, I'm going to obey everything God said to do. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If liberty comes from our obedience, how does this really work? There's an interesting example given to us in Jeremiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. Let me summarize. The Rechabites... The Rechabites are mentioned here. Interesting people. Jeremiah 
is given a command from the Lord to go to the house of the Rechabites, to speak to them, to bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and to give them wine to drink. And so he does it. And he gives them wine. This is a powerful thing. A prophet of God brings them in there and tells them, drink wine. But they said, verse 6, we will, no, we will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever, nor you shall not build a house, sow seeds, plant a vineyard, nor shall any of these things, but all the days, all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. They go on to say, thus we have obeyed, verse 8, the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us to drink no wine all our days. We, our wives, our sons, and our daughters. The pressure put upon them, they decide not to do it, to follow what their father's command was. They become an example to Israel. Who are these people? They're not Hebrews. Remember Moses? Moses married a gal. She was a pretty fiery pistol. Read about her in your Bible. But she had a real good dad, Jethro, a priest of Midian. Took Moses in, gave him his daughter, and then sojourned, lived among the people of Israel when they had come out of Egypt and when they were in the land together. And they were sojourners. They were nomads. They're from Moses' father-in-law, but they're not of Israel, but they obeyed their father's words. So how does this restriction of freedom equal liberty? Why is that here? It's here because we're free to obey Christ in the liberty of salvation. Listen to Jesus himself in John 8, 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the tru truth. And listen, can you help me with this? And the truth shall what? You know this. The truth shall set you free. If you abide, if you live, if you imbibe, if you live off my word, the truth shall set you free. But what do we find in the truth? What's going on here? Isn't it Jesus has said, if you love me, obey my commands. No, I said liberty. I want to do what I want to do. This is no fun. You Christians are boring. You're not free. You're in bondage. This is horrible. Everything he says to do, mm-hmm. How is that freedom? How is that liberty? It is liberty because you are free from the bondage of your own sin that keeps you a slave to itself and puts you there in the guilt cycle, in the horror cycle, in the pain cycle, in the suffering cycle. And you're set free to carry the yoke of Jesus. My yoke is light. It's a yoke, but it's light. In compared to the bondage of sin. Even one who is freed from slavery must still work to eat. Can I have an amen? James even calls this liberty this. He says in James 1.25, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. That's also not oxymoronic. That is true. The law of liberty that sets free and continues in it, that means not recanting. Oh, give it Jesus a try. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one, listen, will be blessed in all that he does. Liberty to be blessed. Woo! And liberty and justice for all. And blessing comes on to them. Even in Jeremiah 35, verse 18, let me say, along with Jeremiah, and Jeremiah said to those of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, 
and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man, listen, shall not lack a man, listen, to stand before me forever. He just got a pass, a liberty card that allows him access to the throne of God, very God, that place where no one could enter, that place where the, even the Israelites were restricted except one man, one time a year, high priest, go before his presence, that's it, you will always have someone before me. You have liberty before the Lord. Welcome. Blessing comes from obedience, eternal access to the house of God, to come into the presence and the throne room of God. Why is it that we sing, trust and obey, for there's no better way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey liberty for all. I must conclude. I have 30 seconds. With fear there is liberty and deliverance for all. With fear. I don't want to miss this one. Jeremiah 36, 24. The proclamation, yet they were not afraid. Nor did they tear their garments, the king nor any of his servants who heard all these things. Liberty flows from the fear of God. Liberty flows from the fear of God, for the fear of God is connected with the word of God. What just happened in chapter 36 that he would say they did not fear? Here's what happened. God commanded Jeremiah, get Baruch the scribe, write down all these words. Scripture was being written and they took the words of Scripture and Baruch had to go because Jeremiah was in prison. So Baruch took the words of God to the princes and the leaders and the priests and the scribes and he read the word of God and they took it and they said, one very wise one said, you and Jeremiah hide yourselves. I'll take it to the king. And they brought this to the king. And the king read the words of God and condemnation came upon him from the book of Jeremiah that was written. And a terrible thing happened in all of Israel. And it happened, verse 23, that when Yehudi had read three or four columns, that's all he read, three or four columns of the text, that the king, listen, cut it with a scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. He burned the word of God. And those who saw it were not afraid. He burned the word of God and they were not afraid. They closed churches in the United States of America and they're not afraid. They imprisoned a brother of mine, a fellow master seminary grad in Canada, for having church on Sunday according to their lies. And I can say that now. It's proven it was a lie. I'm sorry if I step on your toes. It was not that dangerous. But they used it to keep them closed and Walmart open. What are we worshiping? If Walmart is the God, we are sick and lost, and done. And if Amazon's it, Alexa's listening anyway, you're done for. I say that facetiously, I have no idea if she actually can. I mean, who is she anyway? There's no fear when you fear God, you fear the word of God. And then deliverance descends from the fear of God. 
You know what God did? God reached out again. I want you to listen to these first three verses in chapter 36 of Jeremiah and take hope. Now it came to pass in the fourth year, Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Okay, why is God telling Jeremiah to write a book? Why is he telling him to write this book of the Bible? Which, by the way, he does again. God gave it once, he burned it, he just did it again. But why did God do it anyway? Listen, verse 2. Take a scroll of a book and write on it against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day. Well, that's what I thought. This Christian God, this God of the Hebrews, that's all he wants to do. It's against them. It's against them. It's against them. Isn't he horrible? Well, now, only if you stop reading there. Listen, verse 3, it may be, listen, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I, God, purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn, listen, that everyone may turn from his evil way, and I may forgive their iniquity and their sins. I proclaim liberty to you. Forgiveness. Just read my book. Fear what is in there. Is this foreign to the text of Scripture? Old Testament, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has, <clears throat> excuse me, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. God's warnings are saying, come here, you're about ready to step into a trap. Let me save you. This isn't a harsh God. This is a God who is trying to save people. Will you listen? They're being scared straight if they'll but listen. If you wonder if this is only Old Testament and the New Testament God's different, let me read. The Apostle Paul speaking for the Lord, chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. May I proclaim to you another nation, a worldwide nation, with one king, one kingdom. Perhaps the pledge will be this, a new pledge of allegiance, a, a kingdom pledge of allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United Kingdom of Christ and to the monarch for which it stands, all nations under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That's our hope. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who sets men free, that though we willingly sinned, Lord, you willingly and righteously and mercifully call us to yourself to repent, to obey your law, to look at you with fear, yet knowing that you're calling us away from your warnings, to fear them and to love you, so that you do not have to be just and punish disobedience and rebellion. Lead, I pray, someone today into your everlasting 
fellowship. They would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And let us live truly believing that from our Bibles we've learned liberty and justice is for all and to fight for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone help me. Amen.